Part 4 Critical Mass 57 to 63 AR Chapter 30 War Drums The demon Gix sat in the cavern of Coilos and feasted on the minds of two of his followers. One was a spy who had come west from Argive and was still obviously human. The other came from the court of Mitra, and she was festooned with rings and other metal ornaments. Her left arm was entirely artificial. Her face was a rictus grin that indicated further work in the jaw and throat. One priest knelt on either side of the demon, and he gripped their skulls and pierced their flesh with his talons, sucking their memories from them. He savored their experiences, their messy lives, and flamboyant emotions as he took in their knowledge. The more human priest, the one from Argive, was obviously jealous of his companion. He could not modify his form in the same fashion as she did, for he had to operate among the other humans in Argive's capital, Penrigan. But this plain, unornamented one held wonderful information of the new discovery of the island of Tarissier's southeast coastline. The new land was wrapped in storms, but once past the bad weather, there was a land rich for the taking, similar to Phyrexia's first fear in its wilderness, but more organic and disorganized. He scanned through the mind of the priest from Mishra's court, and there was nothing similar there. Yes, they had raided Ashnot's notes and were already successfully using her work on the human body to modify themselves. And yes, Mishra relied more and more on the priest with every passing month and was now susceptible to the Brotherhood's suggestions and recommendations. But Misha was hurting badly for resources now, and he had sucked most of the lands dry. But no word of the new island's discovery within the priest from the Artifice Kadir's court. Gix let the information click through the registers of his own mind. He wanted to reunite the split power stone, but he was not sure now which brother should do it for him. Misha had been the initial invader of his domain, but now was depending on Gix's puppets, the priest, more and more. Urza, wrapped within his own hierarchy of supporters and students, remained an enigma to Gix, but with the resources of this new island, he would be able to overpower his brother, given time. Gix wanted one of the brothers dead, and the other sufficiently weakened, so that he would not stand in Gix's way. But both humans had been working through their proxies, through their own minions, and had not met face-to-face -face in decades. Perhaps, Gix thought, he could change that. To the metal-studded priestess from Mishra's court, he presented information that Urza had found a new source of material to keep his war machine functioning. The woman shuddered as the new data flooded into her brain and a single, oily tear pulled at the corner of her eye. Gix ordered the male spy to return to Argive and allow himself to be captured. He must then reveal, only under torture, that Misha himself planned to take the prize of the island kingdom personally, giving himself a boon of materials and opening the entire southern coast of Urza's kingdoms to attack. Almost as an afterthought, the demon burned out that part of the man's brain that contained the feelings of jealousy of his fellow monk. The man let out a small gasp. Machines did not feel jealousy, noted Gix. Neither should their worshippers. He released the pair, and the woman moaned as the mental connection was broken. The man collapsed, and Gix had to summon a pair of Suchi partially restored by the priest to drag him off to recover elsewhere. Given the damage done to his mind, there would be little difficulty in being caught by the Archivians. Gix leaned back on his throne and clicked his talon fingers together. Now, finally, all the pieces were falling into place. Gwena had been there when the first invader came and was there when the invasion proper began. Titania was no fool, and an invader that escaped the land was expected to return. Gwena and others of her clan had been recruited to serve as shore watchers for the next year, or ten years, to guard against the recurrence of men from the sky. And they did return, from the sky and from the sea. Gwena was at a large tree line overlooking the pristine white beach where the invader had first landed. It was morning, 
and the storms that formed the outer barricade of the island were a dark line against the horizon. The darker flecks appeared along the gray horizon, slowly becoming clearer and more solid as they sailed out of the rain. The dark blots quickly resolved into large boats. It was a flotilla of ships sailing out of the storm. There were other flecks aloft, no more noticeable than that swarming around the greater shadows. They were the bird things, Gwena realized. Their small size along the greater silhouettes spoke of the boat's huge size. Each of the great ships had to be the size of an entire elven hamlet. As Gwena watched, more ships sailed out of the great storm, and then more still. Some were streaming black smoke, and others white steam. Still, others billowed out with great sails, torn by their passage through the heavy weather, looking like specters as they neared the shore. It was an armada unlike any that Gwena could recall, not even out of the old lore. The invaders were coming to Argoth. The force was making for a peninsula westward along the coast, and Gwena began moving in that direction. She thought of moving along the beach, but already the small bird things were overhead, swooping and scouting the area. Instead, she kept to the upper levels of the trees, running along the great branches and leaping the occasional chasms within the interwoven branches. She found young Durrell at her watch position, staring at the armada as it bore down on them. The younger elf's eyes were wide with fear. Gwena shook her head and told the youngling to take word of the invaders back to Titania's court. But even as she spoke, Gwena knew that with a force so large, Gaia herself had to know. If Gaia knew, Gwena reminded herself, then Titania, their queen, must be aware as well. Still, Jarrell was petrified, and even flight was a sufficient action for her at this point. The invaders had landed by the time she arrived. Their boats did not move her, but drove up onto the beach itself. The bows of the great craft split open, and out of them spilled a torrent of creatures like ants from a ruptured anthill. There were men among them, but there were other things of a type that Gwena had never seen. Some looked like beetlehead humanoids, and these took the perimeter of the beachhead. Others were mechanical giants with knees that bent oddly, and they were already unloading supplies. Huge castle-like creations rumbled from the bellies of the ships, bristling with armament and blades. A great machine with sawtooth mouth lumbered forward on spider legs. If Gwena had any doubts as to her own responsibility in this invasion, they were banished when she saw the figure leading the assault. There, among the mechanical beings and human warriors, was her invader, the one she had refrained from killing over a year ago. He was bellowing orders to the men and machines, and they responded to his words. He listened to another man, a taller, older man, with broad shoulders. They spoke, and then the young invader snapped another set of orders, and the machines bent to his will. The spider leg creation lumbered toward the tree line, even as the mechanical giants began to build the foundation of a fortress above the high tide line. The saw teeth of the great spire behemoth bitted to the trees, and sawdust and bark flew in all directions as it chewed its way into the jungle. Other ships were landing now along the beach, their bellies rupturing and giving birth to other monstrosities. Some of the ships had hung on the reefs, but enough passed through the gauntlet to repeat the scene Gwen witnessed all along the coastline. Overhead, the sky buzzed with bird things, both large and small. There was no time to wait for a response from Titania's court. These were not solitary invaders cast up from some shipwreck. This was a force, armed and dangerous, which within moments of its landing, began to assault the land. Gwena knew she should wait for the official response, but she also knew what the response had to be. If she waited, the forest would be lost. Her perch shuddered as one of the great bleachwoods toppled, taking with it two more trees with which it had interlinked branches. Gwena retreated, pulling back to the deeper heart of the forest. She needed to gather the rest of her clan and form a war party. The invaders would not wait for such niceties as permission.
Aslan stared at the Silex and smiled. It took many years, but its secrets were at last hers. She ran a finger along the bowl's lip. The world seemed to darken around her, and she welcomed that darkness. It spoke of an entirely new type of power, a new resource that she could harness. She had learned well, though her teacher had needed some encouragement to share the secrets of the ivory towers. The scholar was gone now, though not dead. Aslan would have found a way to preserve her if she had merely died, but the woman had instead escaped, made off into the night, either by herself or with aid. It mattered little. She left most of her knowledge behind. It required a different way of thinking, a way Ashnod had trouble understanding at first. Hers had been a world of the physical, like the other artificers. But once the concept existed that the land itself held power, that it only needed to be released, the rest of the theory fell easily into place. Once you believed in magic, it could happen. Ashnod lifted her fingertip from the bowl, and the world returned to normal. This device was too dangerous for direct use, but the secrets it revealed were powerful enough to demonstrate her abilities to Mishra and to regain her place by his side. He needed her aid desperately. The tribes of the Falaji were finally falling apart, and the non-Falaji nations they had conquered were wracked by revolution and civil war. Through it all, an ever-increasing wave of devices spilled across the eastern passes from the foundries and workshops of his accursed brother. She had made her own home in Almaz, far from its now-ruined capital of Sumifa, and played one faction off against another as the country spiraled into dissolution. At one point, she thought she could unite the nation and return to Mishra as Almas' queen, but now, he would be more impressed with the power and knowledge she held than with any mere nation. There was a shadow at the door, one of her own acolytes, veteran of several sides in the Civil War. She had shared some of her secrets with her students, but not enough to make any of them dangerous. She told them nothing of the true power of the Silex. Mistress, said the acolyte, Speak, Thaxis, Asha replied grandly. News from Tomokul, he said. Asha looked up, her eyes narrowing. Out with it. Word has reached Misha that his brother had found a great island filled with trees and metals to let him fuel the war effort. Asha nodded. Yes, such news would make Misha all the more desperate. Is it true? The artifice Kadir has reopened the boats at Zigon and his dispatched slave to build a fleet of his own, said Thaxis. He intends to take the island for himself. Ashnod nodded again. Yes, that was very much like Mishra. He needed a new goal, to keep his empire together, and the promise of fresh plunder was enough to keep the childmen who were the Falaji war chiefs in line. And he would help if he was to succeed. Her help. This news was at least three months old. Mishra would have finished his ships by now. Thaxis shifted from one foot to another, and when Asha looked up, there was fire in her eyes. Settle my mount, she said, with supplies for a long trip. Where are we going? asked Thaxis. You are going nowhere, said Asha with a wicked smile, one that the apprentices had learned to fear. I, on the other hand, am going home. Junior Artificer Sanwell, who a lifetime ago stood with Urza among the ruins of Krug, found the Lord Protector in his workshop. A great area had been cleared in the center of the room, and a glowing sphere hovered in the center. The sphere shone with a color unknown to Sanwell, a combination of yellows and greens that seemed to etch their intensity into his eyes so they were still visible even when he screwed his eyes shut against the brilliance. Lightning danced off the surface of the sphere as it spun, unsupported in the center of the room. Sanwell wanted to shout, but Urza noticed him and cut the power to the machine himself. The sphere spat one last arc of greenish lightning 
then floated gently to the floor. Sanwell noted that the Lord Protector's white hair had been standing on end and surmised that his had been as well within the field of the great device. Racolite, said Urza briefly, grinning, as if the name explained everything, works on the same principle as the old amulets of Krug, wrapping the body in a protective field that nurtures its healing. What do you have? The spy, me lord. Urza's smile disappeared, and Sanwell could see the old man making the mental transition from thinking about his devices to thinking about the war. The Gixian? What of him? We finally got him to talk, said Sanwell gruffly. I'm afraid we had to break him to do it. Of course, said Urza softly. What did he know? He was a Gixian, a priest in the order, said Sanwell. And yes, he was funneling information to Mishra, but he gave us other names, but they already fled the kingdom. The Kadir knows, said Urza sharply. He knows about the island. Sanwell nodded. Your brother, the Kadir, is said to be building his own invasion fleet and will be leading it to the island himself. Tanos is there, said Urza. Harbin is leading the expedition. The old man ground his palms together. The motion raised his shoulders, and to Sanwell, it made him look like an albino vulture. He was silent for a moment, looking at where the oddly colored sphere now rested on the floor. He muttered something Sanwell could not hear. My lord? said Sanwell. I'm going, I said, Urza grunted, looking up at Sanwell. His face was exhausted, and all the spirit that had been there moments before had been drained from it. I'm going to that island to meet my brother one last time.